Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We've been going through a, uh, and I didn't mean to leave you guys out. My goodness, the whole time I just sat right here and you guys are right there. Mike and Lori, how are you guys doing? This is a great example. Oh, you have a warrior mask. Good night. Can we edit this out, Craig? Just edit this out. Um, I wanted to say hi, good morning. Those in the choir. I know, he's a warrior fan too. I'm surrounded apparently this morning. Uh, We're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Um, We've been going through the master's plan through the book of Ephesians, and what Paul has been doing for us is he's been giving us an outline or an explanation for what the gospel is. And part of our premise for this study has been this statement that if the gospel doesn't impact your relationships, we're living an incomplete version of the gospel. So when Christ died on the cross and we embraced salvation, when we were baptized into the family, there are values that change because we are now followers of Jesus Christ. There are parts of our life that change from the inside out because we're followers. And so the gospel should actually start affecting our finances. The gospel should start affecting the way we talk. The gospel should start affecting how we study, how we're students, how we're employers, how we're employees. It should really affect all points of our life. And so this study was designed to give us insight on how the gospel reshapes every part of our story. Uh, Two weeks ago, um, we looked at Ephesians 2, and there's two parts, and really we were looking at this subject of reconciliation. We're in need of reconciliation because we are broken, amen? We have crossed the line, we have, uh, we have violated God's boundaries, we have missed the mark, and so this reconciliation that God gifts us, gifts us citizenship. And so as a reconciled family, we now consist of both insiders and outsiders. We are consisted of both uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. We are consisted of people who are now in Christ, we are now near to God, and we have been brought together. We, we talked about how any difference we have for one another should not impact our lordship of who Jesus Christ is in our life. And our reconciliation with God would be evidenced by our reconciliation with each other. The fact that we're able to forgive one another, the fact that we're able to do life together, the fact that we're able to be a church family largely from different cultures, backgrounds, experiences, social classes... We operate in the same church family. We live and thrive in the same church family. This is the beauty of the gospel. So today is actually uh, the last week in part one of our discussion. Uh, Remember, there's two parts of our discussion, section one and section two. Section one is this beauty and majesty of the gospel. In section two, uh, beginning with Ephesians chapter four, we're going to see how the gospel impacts other areas in our life. This week, though, is the end of section one, and we're actually going to take a pause. We're going to take a a breath, so to speak, for a few weeks. The last last two or three months, I felt felt this sense of of talking about some some specific subjects, and so uh, next week, we're going to do a quick three or four-week series called Comfort and Joy. Um, As a pastor, I'm able to have these conversations with many in our church family, and 
what I have observed and what I've noticed and what I've embraced as you have let me into your life is that we are a people living in difficult days, troubling times, and seasons full of worry. How many of you would say you identified with one of those phrases? Difficult days, troubling times, or seasons full of worry. And for myself as a follower of Christ and also as a pastor, during the last two or three months, I've reverted back to the Psalms and I reread the Psalms um, a couple of times in the last two or three months. And I feel like there's some encouraging things there. Um, and so we're going to take a few weeks and go through four chapters of Psalms. Um, this series won't erase difficult days. They won't make you forget about the troubling times. They won't, uh, they won't make your seasons full of worry disappear. But we'll, that what they will do is this. They'll provide some meaning and significance to you right now. And hopefully some hope for the upcoming days um, as, we, as we no doubt will continue to live in difficult days. Um, aren't you glad you came to church so I can tell you the next few days they're just going to be difficult? You are going to have troubling times. You're going to have seasons full of worry. So I, I want to give space for us to think about those difficult subjects. John 16 and verse 33, Jesus said, uh, In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So for the next few weeks, we're going to do that. And then on the other side of that, we'll pick up in Ephesians chapter 4. But today, we talk about the mystery of God and our part. Everyone say the word mystery. So um, today's uh, chapter, Ephesians 3, is kind of heavy. So I need you to stay with me for about two-thirds of the message. And I promise at the end, we'll get to some application part. But we're going to unpack what the mystery of God is beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. We'll begin in verse 1 there in Ephesians 3. During Romans, or during Paul's imprisonment, he was under house arrest. So in the day, he was free to move around the house with the, supervisor, uh, the supervision of soldiers. But then every night, uh, according to Roman custom, he was changed to, he was chained to a soldier to make sure he did not escape before his trial before Caesar. So when Paul uh, identified himself, he, he uncharacteristically identified himself differently, though. He didn't say he's a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar. He identified himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. The reason he was under house arrest is because of his missionary efforts on behalf of the Gentiles. And so Paul suffered for the very truth he would explain to the Ephesians. And because of that, he knew that Jesus was the life, Lord of his life, not the Roman government. So in his own identification, Paul identifies him as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, the last thing Paul wanted was for anyone to feel sorry for himself for, because he was imprisoned. We see that unpacked in verse 2 and 3. Paul wanted him to know, hey, I'm not making this up. This isn't my invention. God gave me this revelation, and I'm the messenger of this truth. It's indeed amazing that God would take the Hebrew of Hebrews, 
a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, to be the main minister of this mystery. You think about someone who caused such division in the early church, now is the uh, messenger of this gospel of wholeness, of unity. You read through the first nine chapters of Acts and you'll see some amazing things happen, but you'll also see uh, Paul, uh, before he was Paul, known as Saul, persecuting the church, driving division within the gospel. And now we see Paul uh, whose life has been changed, it's been restored and redeemed, and now he is bringing unity to these followers. Aren't you glad God specializes in the unusual? He takes things that, doesn't seem, that don't seem to make sense and all of a sudden restores them, and that's what he does in our lives. He talks about this mystery. Now, in English, a mystery is something dark or obscure or puzzling. Uh, it's probably inexplicable. It's even incomprehensible. Not too long ago, probably six months ago, um, we have an app that you can listen to books, and I listened to uh, the mysteries of Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock would take these abstract ideas and little bits of truth and, and keen observations to bring together a solution to a mystery that befuddled Scotland Yard. The Greek word here for mystery is not that mystery. He's not talking about something that's dark and elusive and inexplicable. The Greek word mysterion is a little bit different. It holds this measure of secret, but something that's no longer closely guarded. It's a truth that was hidden from, hidden, from human knowledge at one time, but now it's revealed and it's disclosed by God. So, if you're following in your notes, God used Paul to declare this mystery how Jews, the insiders, and Gentiles, the outsider, would be joined together in one body of Christ. This is the mystery of God. How do God's chosen people, the Gentiles, have a faith that works so well with also those who are, uh, the Jews, I should say, that would also work so well with Gentiles? How are Jews and Gentiles able to operate so clearly or so, uh, so, so well? In the Gospels, one of my favorite stories is when uh, John chapter 4 happens and Jesus is on the road uh, uh, with his disciples. And they are on a, uh, they're on a journey and Jesus says, I need to go through this certain town. I need to go through Samaria. And in those days, the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, so those that lived in Samaria, would not have relationship. You wouldn't enter each other's territory or towns, and yet Jesus was sure that he wanted to go through this hostile town. And as the scene unfolds, many of you know the story, he meets a woman at the well, and in his conversation with the women of the well, he reveals himself to be the Messiah. He reveals himself to be the Christ. This is the great mystery of God. How do Jews and Gentiles work together, breathe together, do life together? You see, the master's plan was always to have a family of adopted and restored human beings who are unified in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Now, in the Old Testament, the salvation of Gentiles, you and I, the outsiders, this is prophesied. But the coming together of Jews and Gentiles was rarely ever explained in the Old Testament. So Paul talks about it here. We're in verse 6 now. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. 
members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Oftentimes when you're looking at a specific piece of scripture, if you find a word or phrase that's repeated, you know there's some significance there. Look at verse 6. Tell me what word is repeated. Together. Boy, Paul's making a statement here. He's saying this is the mystery. That the Gentiles are heirs. What's that word? Together with Israel. Think how ludicrous this is, first of all. God's chosen people have an heir together with Christ, and now the Gentiles just get to get up all in that heir business? They have the same inheritance now? He goes further. He says this, they are members together of one body. As a church family, we are one body, and so Paul says that now the Gentiles are together with one body, and then also thirdly, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Paul is Uh, emphatically stating that Jews and Gentiles, here's the mystery, are now going to have a faith that allows them to be together. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. This describes the mystery itself that Jews and Gentiles are joined together into one body of Christ, into one church, and no longer separated before God. The truth of this mystery means that Gentiles are now full partakers of his promise. This is why it's good news. It means you and I have equal standing with Christ. The mystery of reconciliation is only fulfilled through the gospel where everyone has equal standing. This could only happen through the gospel where all men have an equal standing in Jesus. We're going to move on to verse 8. Of chapter 3 where Paul says this although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things well Paul marveled at the grace that was given to him and he was Called to preach the gospel that makes the mystery a reality. Look back at verse 8. Here's that word that Paul uses to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That word uh, preach there is the uh, word that means to announce good news. Paul's preaching was the announcement of good news for those who were once outsiders. They're now insiders as well. In fact, there's no class or distinction between the two. Paul now says, I get to announce this good news. Everyone is included in the gospel. And he talks about it in these terms. He says, uh, I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. It's almost as if Paul is trying to figure out the greatness of God's grace and he starts describing it as one might track Uh, with the the shore of a lake and then he soon discovers it's not a lake at all but it's the immeasurable sea it's the ocean God's riches are unsearchable and we would never know them completely and having been entrusted with such riches Paul's passion was to make this gospel known to all people he wants everyone to see and share in the fellowship of this mystery which is the mystery because it was unknown but God has now revealed it 
verse 10, he goes on and he says this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in him and through him, I'm sorry, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Paul admits that he is preaching and writing about things that are way over his head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. His task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret. And through followers of Jesus like yourself gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known. All this proceeding along the lines planned by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. And Paul doesn't want the followers to be troubled on his account. He says there in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Rather, he wants us to be emboldened by the master's plan. This is the mystery of God. That outsiders and insiders have now equal standing before God. That Jews and Gentiles are able to worship God the Father. That Jesus Christ was the Messiah not only for the Jewish people, but for everyone and that everyone has equal standing in the gospel. He then starts to pray for the Ephesian church and we want to take a moment and read that prayer. In his prayer, we'll find our part in the mystery. We see it in verse 14 where he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. The basis of Paul's prayer we see is his knowledge of God and his master's plan. But as he prays for us and he prays for the Ephesian church, we see our part in the master's plan. Look at verse 16 if you would. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here is the, the application to the first part of Ephesians. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is doing a painstaking job to explain to us what the gospel is. He reminds us in Ephesians 1 about uh, who God is and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. In Ephesians 2, he describes what this reconciliation looked like. He begins with the premise that we're all in need of reconciliation. We have all sinned. We all are broken. We all need Christ in our life. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, For by grace are ye saved. He begins to unpack for us what the reconciliation looks like, and that is through the grace of God. We get to uh, chapter 3, and now he's describing for us this, this mystery of God, how that outsiders and insiders can worship together. And the main, uh, the main emphasis of the first three chapters is the beauty and the majesty of, of the gospel of God. But now he begins to describe our part. He begins to tease us on the next four chapter 4, 5, and 6, on what the gospel should look like when it shows up in our life. 
So our part in the mystery of God is here. First of all, that we would be strengthened by God. We would be strengthened by God. This means understanding that God is the source of our strength. That means embracing the fact that God dwells in our heart. Look back at verse 16 and 17, if you would. Verse 16 and 17 say this. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Our part in God's mystery is this, that we would be strengthened by God. What does it mean to be strengthened by God? That means that you are not operating in your own strength. How many of you recognize that as followers of Christ, when we operate in our own strength, our capacity to endure difficult moments is far less. Our capacity to go through uh, stressful situations is far less because we're operating in our own strength. And if you operate in your own strength long enough, the vessel that holds your strength soon becomes empty. You ever start trying to pour something from an empty vessel? It becomes very frustrating. And so Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that you would be strengthened. So this means understanding that God is the source of our strength. This means embracing the fact that God dwells in our hearts. What does it look like to be strengthened by God? It's an acknowledgement that the strength comes from him. On Saturday, Libby took me out for an electric bike tour in Eugene. I don't even know what an electric bike is. We're not talking about motorcycles. We're talking about electric bikes. Um, So these are regular bicycles that are powered by a battery that has, I think the one we had had 750 watts of of juice in it. So here's, here's the beautiful thing about an electric bike. If you choose to, you don't have to do anything. Uh, you would sit on the bike, and there's a throttle on the right handlebar, and, and you just pull on that back just a little bit, and the bike just immediately glides away. And then you start pedaling, and it's pedal-assisted, right? So we went, I think, we, a little over 10 miles, right, babe? We did 10.7 miles with a guy who gave us a tour of Eugene, and we went up to Skinner Butte, which is pretty high, and on that elevation, and you know what I did? There's two ways you can do that. You can pedal in your own strength. How many of you know your pastor well enough that that did not happen? And all God's people said? It hurts when you laugh, though, guys. So we would get up there, and for a while, this is what happened. I was, I was in the back, by the way. Uh, Libby's a much better bicyclist than me, and the guy who was doing the tour was ahead, so I was the third. But this is what would happen. For a moment, as we got to Skinner Butte and we started going up that paved uh, road up, I forgot I was riding an electric bike. And so I'm sitting there pedaling my heart out. And I'm like, I, Libby's just getting smaller and, and smaller. And I was like, why? And then it, it only took a few seconds, but then it clicked. Daniel, you paid a lot of money to ride an electric bike. Use the juice. Use it. So I, I went to pedal assist number two, and then I went to three, 
And then I put the throttle on, and I just, I just, I just, DJ was doing it, man. I was just coasting. I caught up to them, and then I pretended to pedal like I did that all on my own. It was gorgeous. Let me tell you, going down Skinner Butte, way more terrifying, by the way. I feel like sometimes in my life, I'll run up into a situation, and I'll just feel like I'm pedaling way too hard. And the Holy Spirit's still small voice will say, Daniel, use the power that's available to you. Why are you pedaling on your own so hard? This life was not meant to be that difficult if you're doing it with Christ. You, you will go through difficult days. You'll go through troubling times. You'll go through seasons full of worry. But you have power available. And what Paul is asking us to consider is this. Are you pedaling on your own? Or are you relying on the strength in the uh, in the glorious riches, Paul describes it. In your inner being, you have the juice. You have it. So Paul says, uh, my prayer is this. Your part in God's mystery, you would be strengthened by God. This means understanding that God is the source of the strength, but also embracing the fact that God dwells in our hearts. You have access. You have the capability to rest in him. So are you doing that? Is That's our part in God's mystery, that we would be strengthened by God. The second part of God's mystery is this, that we would be people of love. That we would be people of love. Look at verse 17 and 18. Or is it just 18? Maybe 17. Yeah, let's look at 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. You see, rooted and established in love gives you the opportunity to have power together with all the Lord's holy people. What does that mean? That means all of us. That means the church at large. We get to do this together. Our power is a, is, is a power that's available to all of us. And this is why, to grasp how wide, how long, deep, High is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Our part in God's mystery is this, that we would be people of love. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. So if you're rooted and grounded in love, think about plants, think about your garden at home that you're probably putting together. If you're rooted and grounded in love, what comes forth is a product of love. So you can ask yourself during the week, boy, the way I'm feeling right now, is this the product of love? Because if it's not, then you get to go back and you say, Lord, I want to be rooted and grounded in love. I want to be a people of love. But he also says this, that we would embrace the width, the length, the depth and the height of the love of Christ. What is he trying to get us to understand there? What's the word picture? Why is he using this specific word picture about the width and the length and the height and the depth? He wants you to know that because we're all under God in equal standing now, we all have access to the love of God. So every single time in our Christian life that 
that, uh, that would prevent us from getting closer to God, there's usually a guilt associated with it. Yeah, there's usually a sin. There's usually something that creates distance between us and God. You have a moment where you fail. You have a moment where you had a bad thought. You have a moment where you need to ask for forgiveness. And in that moment, you can close your eyes and perhaps imagine you've created distance between you and God. And for most of us, that distance becomes a little hard to deal with. And if we're not careful, we allow that distance to stay. And so then we back away as well. And now that distance between us and God has, has, has grown and we know about forgiveness, and we know the healing that confession can bring, but for some reason we stay from it again, and all of a sudden that distance has grown. And what could have been resolved with forgiveness and confession here has now grown into this span, this, this distance between you and God. And you say, man, I could never go back to church because they'd ask me where I've been. And maybe you're watching at home and you say, man, it's been a year since I've been in church. And maybe you're thinking, there's no way I could go back now. Because they'd asked me where I've been, and it, there's a distance now, and I don't know how to span that distance. And, 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 and maybe you say, well, I could, never, I could never pray now. It's been too long, and so God won't understand the prayer now. And there's distance. And what Paul wants us to be is people of love that can embrace that the width, that the length, that the height, that the depth of love makes that distance disappear. James says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One of the most beautiful things in the Gospels is as you read through Jesus and you look at what he did and you look at what he said, he always went to people where they were. Every single time he met people where they were. And so if you're in a position today and you say there's a distance between me and God and this is as close as I can get right now and I can't get any closer, I want you to embrace the words of Paul and say, I'm going to be a person of love. We are going to be a people of love and I'm going to embrace the love of Christ. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're going to finish Ephesians 2 in just a moment. Before then, I want you to reflect on two questions this morning. Considering the mystery of God and considering our part being strengthened by God and being a people of love. Let me ask you this question. Last week, how much did you go through your last week in your own strength versus God's strength? Can you identify the moment where you feel like, oh, that's where I lost it. That's where I was peddling without using what was available to me. How much did you go through last week in your own strength versus God's strength? And then this week, how, what can you do this week to lean into God's strength? You know, loving people well sometimes is difficult. Sometimes it's hard and we need God's strength. We need to be rooted and established in love so that we can lean into God's strength. How much of last week did you go through on your own strength versus God's strength, and then what can you do this week to lean into God's strength? Paul ends by resting in who God is. 
Let's read these last two verses together. This is the end of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Ready, begin. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful way to rest your thoughts? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. Whatever you could ask or imagine, Christ is able to do immeasurably more according to his power that is at work within us. There is that reminder that we are to be strengthened by God once again. His power that is at work within us. And we say to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you take a peek at chapter 4, most of your translations will say something like, therefore, and Paul will then go on to explain in chapters 4, 5, and 6, based on this mystery of God that we are all together at equal standing, based on this mystery that uh, that, that Jews and Gentiles, outsiders and insiders, insiders can now worship God freely together. Based on that mystery, here's where the gospel shows up in your life. So I'd encourage you over the next few weeks, read chapters 4, 5, and 6. Find out where God is asking you uh, where the gospel should show up. And in a few weeks, we'll come back and we'll finish chapters, or the second part of the master's plan. But for today, we rest here. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, let's bow for a word of prayer, shall we? Our worship team's going to come forward. We're going to prepare to lead you in worship. But just before that, just a moment. A chance for you to respond to however God is speaking to you. Boy, it's so tiring to go through our lives on our own strength. And here Paul makes the case on why we should be leaning into God's strength. Boy, you have access, you have a power that is stored up in you, just waiting to be unleashed. And some of us are like me on Saturday morning, just, just pedaling up a hill on our own, wondering why everyone else is going by, wondering why we're so tired, wondering where our power comes from. And the clear picture is this. You are a child of God. Boy, if you've accepted Christ and you've, and you've embraced salvation, if you've been baptized into the family of God, you are a child of God. You have equal standing. You have the same incomparable riches at your disposal that any other follower of Christ has. And for some reason, you are content to do it on your own. Oh, child of God, I would urge you today to figure out what it would look like in your life to lean into God's strength to give him that first 10 or 15 minutes of the day to rest in his glory and in his word and scripture and worship for just a few minutes to 
to fill up, to fuel up in order to go through the rest of your day, your rest of your week. I think about such people in our church family that have gone through incredible sickness, incredible difficulties with the grace of God, which is such a kind spirit. You ever wonder how that's possible? You ever wonder why that's possible? It's because their strength comes from way deep within. Oh, church, I pray that we would be that kind of follower, where we'd be rooted and established in love, strengthened by his spirit. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed for just a moment, and if you're at home, or maybe you're listening to this here in this auditorium, and you're not a follower of Christ, you haven't made that decision. For some reason, you've just you've allowed that distance between you and God to just grow over the period of time. And yet, this is a moment where you've heard the gospel, you've heard the clear message of the gospel, and you are ready to make that decision for Christ. I'd invite you to surrender your heart to him. I'd invite you to rest your heart on the height, the width, the length, and the depth of his love that would span over time and creation to save you, to give you purpose and significance and meaning in this life and to give you eternal hope for the next. Boy, if that's you and you are ready to become a follower of Christ, I'd encourage you If you're watching at home with someone, I'd encourage you to reach out to that person and tell them of your decision. If you're here today, I'd encourage you to to tell myself or maybe the person that you came with today, reach out to the church, give us a call. We'd love to put some things in your hands that would strengthen your new walk with God. We'd love to gift you a Bible so that you could begin reading about the promises he has in store for you. We would love to rejoice with you. Heavenly Father, we are... We're grateful for this time together. I pray, Father, that we would truly be strengthened by you. Lord, I pray that that it would be a daily strengthening. And that we would be people of love. That when they think of us, when they think of us as a church family, this community and others would say, boy, they sure love people well. They have figured out what it means to love God and to love others. May that be the testimony of your people at this church. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.